An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train! Episode 399, submission number 316, Salvage 1. Salvage 1 aired on the ABC television network from January 20th to December 9th, 1979 for 20 episodes over two seasons, four of which went unaired. So wait, are you telling me? that the number of aired episodes of Salvage 1 is equal, equal to the number of episodes of Uncle Croc's Block and the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show and J.J. Starbuck. That's exactly what I'm telling you, Mike. Well, you said 20, though, so it's four more than all those. Yeah, well, yeah, but you only saw 16 unless you were living abroad and then you saw 20. Don't know how. No, you just no, you, you saw all 20, but we'll get to the logistics of how that works. But how about we do a theme? Usually we tell you what the show's about, but this is one of those expository joints. Sort of. We'll get to it. Now the theme. Once upon a time, a junk man had a dream. spaceship, go to the moon, salvage all the junk that's up there, bring it back, sell it. So he put together a team, an ex-astronaut, a fuel expert, they built a rocket ship, and they went to the moon. Who knows what they'll do next? Griffith, Tar Heel in the House, best known for his turn as sheriff and single father Andy Taylor on his namesake show, itself a spinoff of Make Room for Daddy, went from homespun rural hero to television legend in the course of seven seasons. And a television legend can go on to do almost anything he or she wanted. For example, previous entry Life with Lucy. To mount a comeback, Sheriff Andy mounted a rocket ship. What? Sheriff Andy mounted a rocket ship. Huh? Do you need to clean your ears? Andy Griffith mounted a rocket ship. That doesn't make sense. No, why would Andy Griffith be on a science fiction show? Remember the era. Think of all of the shows that we've talked about in the past that are science fiction based or space based in the era of like 1977 to 1980. Uh, we're talking Battlestar Galactica, Galactica 80, 
Uh, we talked about Jason of Star Command. I'm struggling to figure out why anybody would want to go into space specifically after May of 1977. What would Andy Griffith find in space? Garbage? And what would he do with the garbage? Bring it back to Earth where we really need more garbage? Why would we need more garbage on Earth? What's the logistics of going to the moon to get garbage? What are you going to do with this? Who wants moon junk? Hold on. Why couldn't they just throw the garbage into the sun? Well, now we could get into the uh, realities of that, the physics involved and the amount of time and the accuracy. And does the sun even really have a gravitational pull? It's a big ball of flaming gas. Interesting that you talk about reality, not just Who in the world would want to buy space junk? But I'm looking at this article from MeTV here. Andy Griffith, and this is from a 1979 interview with People Magazine. He says, it's difficult to catch lightning in a bottle twice, but I think we've done it. Now, Andy Griffith would catch lightning in a bottle twice. But he would have to wait another seven years. Here we are, 1979, and everybody had to go to space. So, writer Mike Lloyd Ross decided to team up with producers Harris Cattleman and legendary sci-fi scribe Harv Bennett to form, and I swear to God I am not making this up, the Jettison Scrap and Salvage Company. Jesus Christ. Owned and operated by down-on-his-luck junkman Harry Broderick. As a specialist in reclaiming trash and junk to sell his scrap, he figures he's collected every junk car he possibly could. What else is there to do? Not to uh, repeat that line from the theme song, but here it is again, in case you missed it the first time. I want to build a spaceship, go to the moon, salvage all the junk that's up there, bring it back, sell it. So basically, he wanted to be the space version of Fred Sanford? Yes! And yes, Greg, that is the correct reaction! What in God's name... How did this get greenlit? Harv Bennett! That's how it got greenlit. And also, it's 1979 and everybody wanted a Star War. And also, Andy Griffith. I get you got Andy Griffith and Harv Bennett, but it's like, you pitched this to me. I'm like, what? Forget how did this get greenlit. How did this get renewed? I'm sure we'll have an answer for that in due course, but yikes. (laughs) This show is just full of yikes. 
You cannot go to space all by yourself. You need a team with you. So, Harry recruits former astronaut Addison Skip Carmichael and NASA fuel expert and payload specialist Melanie Mel Flozer. Together, Skip and Mel assist Harry in building a spaceship, going to the moon, salvaging all the junk that's up there, bringing it back, and selling it. I feel like Gene Rayburn should be uh, here right now. Right. Forget for a moment that you need a lot of scrap in order to build a rocket ship. How in the name of sanity are you going to power the damn thing? Well, just so happens I have an answer, and it seems to me that this is the MacGuffin that is the answer to nine out of every ten problems that the team of the Vulture, that's the name of the ship, by the way, the Vulture, the show's name is Salvage One, but the ship's name is Vulture. Process that. Maybe a project name. Maybe a nickname. Because, you know, what are they doing? They're salvaging items. It might be the first salvage ship in space. I'm wondering, how do you get enough fuel to go into space, grab all your stuff, and come home before dinner? Well, nine out of every ten problems, apparently, on this show can be solved with one word. Monohydrazine. Monohydrazine is used to power the spaceship, not to be confused with hydroxazine, which is used to keep my neuroses in check. So let's talk about everybody who is involved with this project. We already talked about Andy Griffith. We already know he's looking to strike it big again. Now, did he have a variety show in the 70s? Like everybody else? Or no? I don't see that he did any sort of variety show in the 70s. Ah. Well, before we talk about Andy's team, I have to bring this up because I actually also did some research. Hydrazine is actually a real thing. Time for a Chico science moment. Hydrazine is an inorganic compound with the chemical formula N2H4, a simple nictogen hydride, and it's a colorless, flammable liquid with an ammonia-like odor. Hydrazine is highly toxic unless handled in solution as, for example, hydrazine hydrate, mainly used as a foaming agent in preparing polymer foams, but applications also include its uses as a precursor to polymerization catalysts, pharmaceuticals, and agrochemicals, as well as long-term storable propellant for in-space spacecraft propulsion. So what does that all mean? You put enough of it in a rocket, and you break the surly bonds of Earth and punch the face of God. Maybe. Well, we'll, we'll get to the maybe in a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of maybe bordering on possibly, because one of the science advisors on this show is Isaac Asimov. Well, I wasn't even saying it for that reason, because I saw a number of episodes and I noticed a pattern in those episodes, and we'll get to it in due time. 
So we talked about Andy Griffith. Let's talk about Addison Skip Carmichael. I don't know if I want to call him a clumsy genius or just simple, but he is played by Joel Higgins, who we all remember best as Little Ricky's Daddy on Silver Spoons. Here we are, face to face, couple of silver spoons. Hoping to find we're yeah. We're two of okay. Hey Greg, you wanna chime in? Together <laughs> we're gonna find our way. Okay, okay, that okay. The people can't the people aren't ready, Greg. They are not ready. That'll be on our release. Now that's why I call a thing on TV volume six. Fun fact, Joel Higgins would boo up with someone else who's also been in space, Aaron Gray of Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah, baby, Aaron Gray. Oh, my gosh, Greg took my line word for word. I was going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Aaron Gray. Oh, yeah, Aaron Gray. I was hoping he'd do it like Macho Man style. Oh, I thought you were going to do the G-Man there. Oh, yeah. I can't do a G-Man. uh, I want, hey, I wonder if he'll show up for the 400th. I wonder if he's going to do that. I don't know. As payload specialist and fuel expert Melanie Mel Slozer, we have Trish Stewart, known for an extensive career involving CBS daytime shows, both The Young and the Restless and Match Game, and also for Chips and the Streets of San Francisco. So she's basically trading in the streets for the skies. She's a space cowboy. And then we have, as an assorted character, Mac, J.J. Saunders, who played one of the moving men in Beetlejuice, and George Middleton on four episodes of Dallas in 1989. Uh, We've talked about him in the past. We have. Okay, where did we talk about him in the past? He played the judge on Mac and Me, didn't he? uh, Did he? That wasn't where I was going, but but you see, Chico, you know how I walked into the trap last week? Yeah. Guess what you just did? Oh, dear. Roll it! It's a trap! Okay, now that we got our obligatory Mac and Me clip out of the way, the right answer I was looking for is from a show proper that we covered, and we covered it not that long ago. He was on a home run for love. Yes. That was April, March, beginning of baseball season. For Jackie Robinson Day, yeah. And rounding out the cast as the snooping federale who's wondering why Harry needs all of that unobtainium. Jack Klinger, Richard Jekyll. And if we listed every future entry that he had a hand in, we would be here all day. Hold hold on. Was he on Spencer for Hire? I believe he was on Spencer for Hire, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was. Yes. He was Lieutenant Martin Quirk. 
Spencer for Hire's theme song, underrated. Very much so. Oh, that sexy sax in the theme. And we may have talked about him in the past because he was on an episode of Carter Country, but also he was on an episode of a show that we talked about a lot recently for obvious reasons, Black Sheep Squadron. So now we go into space. We've gotten all the junk off the moon. What do we do with it? Funny thing is I've saw a number of the episodes and A, none of the episodes had anything to do with getting junk off the moon. But also B, they never went to the moon, at least on the episodes I saw. And we'll see if they go to the moon when we go through the episodes. But I saw nothing in terms of them going to the moon on uh, any of the first number of episodes that I saw. So that's why I said this might be a little bit like false advertising from that theme song. Our job was to go to the moon to get space junk. They didn't even do that from what I saw outside of the opening credits. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. Remember, the first episode of Salvage One was not the first episode. Well, I get that, but I'm talking about the first couple episodes proper. But hey, since we're talking about that first episode per se, how about we just jump into it? The movie is called Just Salvage. A salvage company sees a prospect of recovering abandoned items in space. They build a makeshift rocket and launch it amongst resistance from the government. So again, it's basically your exposition as if you didn't get enough exposition from the opening theme. Can we briefly touch on the ship itself? The main body is composed of a Texaco gasoline semi-trailer tank truck with a cement mixer as the capsule. Augmented with three shorter rocket boosters placed 120 degrees around the main tank. That isn't even the main part of uh, Salvage 1 that I want to focus on. Because if you guys saw this, did you see how this thing runs? What it runs on? In terms of mechanically, not in terms of fuel. It has a stick shift from like a 70s station wagon. You actually see it says park, reverse, whatnot. How the heck does a rocket go in reverse? Do its boosters turn 180 degrees? That makes no sense. This isn't Thunderbird 3 we're talking about here, Mike. but, But the thing is, still, you know, really, if I put this in drive, it's going to blast off? It's ridiculous. I, I get it's salvage, but it's like you have a freaking stick shift from a 70s station wagon. The only thing that's missing is like the fake wood handle on the uh, gear shift or on the uh, stick. I don't mean it's a stick shift. It is like a manual transmission. You guys know how to drive, I hope. Now, Mike, you made a great comparison to salvage one to something. Yes, and I really think this is absolutely true. Salvage One is the 1979 version of the Ocean Gate Titan that we lost like six weeks ago. And it is. The pieces and parts going as cheap as possible. The parallels are there. So would this be powered by an Atari 2600 joystick 
like a crappy aftermarket controller. Uh well, well, crappy aftermarket controller in 1979 would probably be like a pong paddle. Because Atari 2600 would have been current in 1979, and also so would the uh, Odyssey 2. So it's got to be one of those dial type of joysticks for Pong or uh, whatever the Odyssey 1 ran on. I was just about to bring up the Odyssey 2. That would have been like the time for the Odyssey 2. I mean, it came out in 1978. It was the first video game console worth owning. No, the Atari 2600 was the first console worth knowing. Look, the Odyssey 2 had Casey Munchkin. Case closed. Greg likes his Casey Munchkin. So they're back on Earth. They got all the crap off of the moon. Do they sell it? Do they keep it? Do they make improvements on the rocket? I don't know. Is this a Torchwood situation that we're looking at? Greg knows what I'm talking about. Let's find out, shall we? First episode, Dark Island. The Salvage One crew become stranded on a remote island off the coast of Africa and are menaced by a gigantic ape. You don't look like you went to space in this episode to me. That's one. Just say, well, well, keep track. How many times did they go to space? How many times did they not? Going to some uh, island off the coast of Africa is not going to look for space junk. No. Because they're looking for a gorilla. Oh, jeez, really? They actually did find a gorilla, uh, or a couple of gorillas, but the main thing that they found was a Sasquatch-looking creature, including this giant ape. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's an ape. Yeah, maybe it is, but it looked more like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch to me. It was some sort of hairy hominid. We actually have a name that we discussed in this episode. Henry Jones plays a man by the name of John Goodwin. The last time we talked about him was in I Married Dora. Episode 2. Shangri-La Lil. While searching for the B-25 bomber he flew on Doolittle's raid on Tokyo, Harry discovers an old Japanese soldier who is still fighting World War II. It's two episodes. We haven't gone to the moon yet. Couple of known names playing Toshiro, said soldier, Mako. You would best remember him as the voice of Aku on Samurai Jack, among other roles. He also played the wizard and the narrator in Conan the Barbarian. And, relative to what's out on theaters right now, he was the voice of Splinter in the 2007 TMNT movie. That's right. And Mike, do you want to know who played Casey Jones in the 2007 TMNT CG movie? Since I didn't even know there was a TMNT movie in 2007, I think you need to tell me. America's ass himself, Chris Evans, voice Casey Jones. America's second ass. We know the original ass was Tom Villard. And he wouldn't have been alive in 2007. And playing a newscaster this episode, a man by the name of Larry Carroll, who has played a newscaster in Beverly Hills Cop 2, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, Volcano, Rocky, previous entry, Greg the Bunny, and two episodes of Sister, Sister. 
and diagnosis murder and murder she wrote. I'm just going to bypass it right now. Typecasting. No questions. I mean, seriously, I'm looking at everything he did. It was as a newscaster or a reporter, just about. I see a radio announcer, but just going all the way back, sportscaster. Oh, he was a helicopter pilot in an episode of McLeod. So there you go. Out of everything, he was a newscaster, sportscaster, reporter type in just about everything. Oh, including an episode of Cannon before William Conrad was in Fat Man 66. There's actually a really good reason for that, Mike. He was a news anchor for KCBS. He looks like it. I mean, he looks like a news anchor, so makes sense. I want to clear up something because uh, this episode, I saw this one too. This one, this one was weird uh, and also a little stereotypical. Uh, a lot of stereotyping of Japanese people and uh, culture and stuff like that. So they flew to... They said Tokyo, but I noticed on the helicopter, they took a helicopter to, I'm going to guess, Rangoon, Burma. And that's where uh, this plane was. Or, or I don't know uh, why it was Rangoon Tours or Rangoon Rentals, but it says it was in Japan. So whatever. Somehow you took a helicopter from Rangoon to Tokyo, which is like like 1200 miles. I don't know. I'm not going to question that, but a couple of things I noticed. So after the helicopter dropped off our three main characters uh, to look for this uh, bomber, the helicopter pilot, he was looking around and saw the plane, this missing Japanese bomber from world war two that we're talking about, which is actually, again, the uh, title name, the Shangri-La Lil. He saw the turret moving and once he saw that turret rotating, he left them as fast as he could. He said, screw you guys, I'm going home. What a D move. But also, I don't know how this can happen to a person, especially given seasons and especially given you know, all the things that go on in life. The Japanese spider that we're talking about, he thought it was 1963. Not 1979. How do you lose 16 years in whatever that would be? That would be 35 years, 34 years after the end of World War II. So basically two years was one in his world. Wouldn't you see winter once a year, not twice a year? Again, maybe some logistics issues here, some realism issues. I'm guessing post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that's actually one of the things that they brought up in the episode, believe it or not. Another name in this episode, and this last one before we move on, playing Tuan. Making a strong Hall of Fame case, George Ki Chung. Let's see if I remember all of this stuff that we covered him in. Saved by the Bell of the College Years, Blind Justice, and just for uh, Greg's edification, he was Korean Elvis on How I Met Your Mother. And he was on an episode of Manimal. Episode 3, Shelter 5, 
When an earthquake traps a small girl in a bomb shelter, the Salvage One team tries to rescue her brother after shocks collapse the remaining structure. This would be one of those instances where it would help to have some of that space junk jerry-rig some sort of makeshift bulldozer and, you know, get everybody out before the whole thing collapses. Hey, do they go to the moon here? No. Moon trips zero, elsewhere three. And playing the little girl, lady by the name of Susan Burke, Michelle Stacy, whose best known work is the voice of Penny in The Rescuers. Oh yeah, she was also the young girl with coffee in Airplane. Oh, so she's the one who has that famous line. She likes her coffee well. You know. Right, Mike? Episode 4. The Haunting of Manderley Mansion. The Salvage One team befriends an alien creature from Andromeda who has crashed onto Earth and assumed Harry's shape. The alien needs Harry's rocket to escape Earth's gravity and resume his journey home. Did they go to space? No. So we're at 4 trips to places beside the moon for junk and zero actual trips for junk just saying what's the purpose if you're saying uh, this is a, a salvaged uh, vessel to go to the moon to get junk when you don't even go there i'm not going to keep the count up but just saying this has like very let's say tenuous connections to outer space close encounters man well, in this episode, I absolutely, that's the vibes I'm getting from this episode. But I'm, again, just talking about as a whole, if you're not doing, you know, what you sort of like promoted in the opening of the episode, you know, people are going to turn off. And actually, I think the question we asked earlier, how did this get to season two? We'll talk about that later. But, you know, how does this make a season two when basically... I don't want to say that it was a uh, a bait and switch type of situation, but you sort of offered a certain bill of goods and you sort of went back on that. In one of three appearances for the entire series as Sam Bishop, we have Bert Freed, whose best known role was 1956's Invaders from Mars. He played the police chief. Episode 5, The Bugatti Treasure. The Salvage One team finds a 16th century map that supposedly points to the location of Cortez's treasure in the Mojave Desert. We have five episodes, zero trips to space, one close encounter, and zero Bugattis. Hey, if they knew how much a Bugatti would cost in 2023, they'd find that thing. Episode 6, Golden Orbit, Part 1. Harry plans a return to space to salvage a communications satellite, Telecom, that is loaded with gold. While Klinger impounds the vulture, Skip, rehired by NASA, is trapped aboard a malfunctioning space station. Okay, you went to space this time at least. Didn't get any sort of moon junk, but at least he got outside of the Earth's atmosphere. 
few names in this episode playing Dr. Singleton. We talked about him last week. Barry Nelson. I believe this is the fifth time we've talked about him. So he's primed for possible election to our little Hall of Fame. Playing Vanessa Ashley, somebody who would go to St. Elsewhere in a few years. Ellen Bree. And was on several weeks of the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And playing Buck Fulton, Edward Winter, Project UFO, The MASH Movie. Oh, The MASH Series 2 for seven episodes. And Mr. Crawford in 13 episodes of Herman's Head. And this is the second time we're mentioning this, this episode. He played Mr. Burke in Saved by the Bell, The College Years. His wife was played by Gloria Loring, Robin Thicke's mama. Alan is not here, so I checked over the corner. And somebody else we talked about last week, playing Eddie, Bubba himself, Michael T. Williamson. This is part one of a two-part adventure. So what happens in part two? The cooling system aboard the Alpha Space Station has failed due to a malfunctioning valve, and the temperature inside the capsule is dropping dangerously. At Houston, Dr. Singleton has called a meeting of department heads and experts, and there's no other solution but to send another rocket, which will take at best two days to be ready for launch. On Station Alpha, Skip, crewmate Vanessa Ashley, and Commander Buck Fulton are aware that the battery packs providing the power to heat their spacesuits will last only hours. Harry and Mel, having seen the news report of the event, volunteer their services to attempt a rescue mission. With little hesitancy, Singleton agrees, sends battery packs at a replacement valve, along with Jim Webster, the original member of the crew that Skip replaced in order to be included, who will replace the valve. The trio, amidst warnings from Klinger to stay away from the satellite, set off to save the Alpha crew. See? They're in space now. But they're not getting space junk or moon junk. What do you want from me, huh? Not from you, from them. You know, you, again, you promised a, a certain bill of sale and you totally went against it. Can we file a class action lawsuit against the estate of Art Bennett for false advertising? Let me make a quick call to Tim Misney. I'll listen and then I'll make them pay. Episode 8, Operation Breakout. Klinger, while on assignment out of the country, is taken captive by an African dictator who is asking the U.S. for arms, but they refuse to comply despite knowing that the dictator will execute Klinger because the United States does not negotiate with terrorists. So Harry offers to sell him a weapon himself so that he could be allowed into the country so that he could rescue Klinger. But Harry's plan... Don't go as he planned it. Playing said leader, Yafert Baratu, Moses Gunn, who was in Shaft in 1971, Rollerball in 1975, and 10 episodes of A Man Called Hawk. Oh, the Spencer for Hire spinoff with Avery Brooks. Spencer! Spencer! And 34 episodes of Father Murphy. So he got to work with Merlin Olson. Or man, 
Merlin Olsen. Episode 9, Myrmidon. Harry befriends a mobile robot who, unknown to the Salvage One team, has run away from a secret army base and is programmed to kill anyone who poses a threat. So this is basically the plot of the Zeta Project 30 years early. In this episode, somebody we talked about before, Julianne Haddock from Season 1 of The Facts of Life. And another person we mentioned last week, making the real low-key Hall of Fame case, as General Macklin, Ed Nelson. I think this is at least the fourth, if not the fifth thing we've talked about him on. Episode 10. Up, up, and away. Harry survives a plane crash in a remote canyon, but must face crooks determined to retrieve counterfeit currency from the wreck. Episode 11. Energy Solution. Because it's the late 70s, you see. Melanie's plan to develop a method to create crude oil literally backfires, resulting in a raging underground inferno. One thing I should add regarding Mm -hmm. this, didn't see this episode, but I'm going to call back to uh, one of the earlier episodes. I think it was uh, the uh, second episode uh, where they went to the Japanese island. The person who was still stuck in World War II actually questioned how does a woman get a degree in physics or science seems a little sexist to me in this episode we have playing dawson peter donut best known for six episodes as william Mulder on the x-files so fox's dad mm-hmm. he was also on nine episodes of time tracks as Mordecai Zombie, one of the uh, crims that Darian has to zap back into the future. Playing Crandall, Stanley Brock. Uncle Harvey. Oh, Uncle Harvey, yeah. We talked about him at least twice before. He oh, was yeah. In What's Alan watching? He was in something else, I remember that. What a country. Oh, what a country, yeah. With the best rendition of a theme song sung by Greg. Oh, yeah. I want to be an American. Do, 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 do. And WizKids. Oh, yeah. WizKids. And 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. And E slash R. So that so. makes five. Again, low-key Hall of Fame case coming up. And Fish. So that's six. And Holmes and Yo-Yo. That's seven. He's it. Episode 12. Confederate gold. Oh, boy. Jack. No, no, no. no. This is not going to end well. No. No. You know what? I'm just going to describe the episode and we're going to move on. While trying to locate gold from the Confederate States of America, the Salvage One team is captured by greedy townspeople and forced to work for the locals. I'll give you a name, though, just because we need to take something out of this episode that isn't, like, offensive or stereotypical or anything like that. Playing Billy Wakefield in this episode is Dirk Blocker. A, the son of Bonanza legend Dan Blocker, but also, B, he was on, I think, the entire run. 
he was Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he was a regular on, and again, how many times have we mentioned this show in like the last two months? Black Sheep Squadron. And he was young at that point on Black Sheep Squadron. He was like 20. He was a kid. All right. Now that's season one. Let's go to season two. Episode one of season two. Hard Water, part one. John Cameron, mayor of Santa Lea, an island about 18 miles off the coast of California, televises a plea for a dependable source of drinking water. He's offering $50,000 cash money to research and develop a system that will result in a solution to the island's water shortage. To this end, he holds a meeting inviting all engineers and technologists with potential solutions. And to the crew who offer a plan to bring an immense iceberg to provide the needed water. A concept that they have been dabbling with for some time. Harry no sooner makes his presentation than a competitor, Sam Bishop of Fine Arts Salvage, this guy again, makes a similar proposal except they don't need the subsidy up front and are willing to carry out the required testing at their own expense. After a short deliberation, it's decided that Jenison Salvage will get the subsidy while fine arts can continue experimenting at their own cost. However, in exactly three weeks, both companies will have the opportunity to submit bids for the actual working delivery. Leaving the meeting, Harry confronts Bishop because he knows absolutely nothing about the capture and usage of icebergs. In the meantime, Mel meets Michelle, an orphan who happens to be a dedicated fan, and a close friendship evolves. So we have a new cast member in Michelle Ryan, played by Heather McAdam, who is best known for 90 episodes of Sisters as Kat Margolis. And somebody that we may talk about in the future, playing a man by the name of Cress, Philip Charles McKenzie. Best known for roles in Brothers, all of Brothers, and all of Open House, and three episodes, we talked about them before, of Going Places! That's right. Going Places. Isn't that great, Mike? Yeah, you agree. That's great. (laughs) Uh, I had the Yankees thumbs down guy here for those who obviously can't see it. So Greg's a liar. It's You're entitled to your wrong opinion, Mike. I'm not of that age that you and Chico were when going places was a thing, so maybe that's why it just doesn't resonate with me. How are Harry and the crew going to figure this one out? Episode 2, Hard Water Part 2. Harry and the Salvage 1 team try to direct the iceberg out of the shipping lanes, but the U.S. Navy is determined to blast the berg into ice cubes. So, it begins with Sam Bishop stealing the Jettison salvage research by placing a bug on Mac and winning the contract to supply the iceberg to Santa Leah. Bishop's team manages to cut off an immense iceberg and get it towed. However, after the huge tugboat that he hired was unable to control it, it was abandoned more than 500 miles from its destination. Harry and the crew have been alerted by young Michelle, whose research had revealed the existence of the Sarajevo Current, a deep and powerful current flowing some 80 feet below the surface. 
Deus Ex Machina at work. Due to its death, few people know of its presence, including Bishop and the tugboat captain. The iceberg, with more than 100 feet of mass below the surface, was an easy catch for the current, and now it's legal salvage. The Jettison crew had already devised a plan to break the iceberg free using engines from the Vulture. Now they have to put their plan into action with the cooperation of the Navy, who remain in position, if needed, to destroy the iceberg before it enters the main shipping lanes, which should take uh, four days, give or take. Episode 3, Roundup. Harry learns that some wild horses are about to be slaughtered because the local ranchers are upset that they are trampling on what could be grazing land for their cattle. Harry tries to save the horses before the ranchers go after the horses. A police department is going to take them for their mounted unit, but only if they can break them. So Skip thinks he can do it, but they have to start with the leader who is very wild. One thing we should note about this episode, this episode and everything after this did not originally air. The second season was literally that two-part episode Hardwater that we just talked about. One of the writers of this episode, Mike, noted Star Trek scribe Jerry Taylor. I'm not a Star Trek fan. I don't care. I'm just saying it comes with a pedigree. Episode four, Harry's Doll. Melanie hires a scientist to save Michelle's injured horse from blindness with laser surgery. So they give the horse the 1979-1980 equivalent of LASIK. Basically, yes. No animals were harmed at all. Yeah, but the horse can now see 2020, so everything went fine. Okay, we have a name in this episode. Playing Dr. Mott is Alan Arbus. And he was in all 13 episodes of the Gangster Chronicles, 13 episodes of the Four Seasons, and a pivotal 2000 episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2013. Episode 5, Dry Spell. Harry and the Salvage One team are hired to bring rain to a drought-stricken farming community. Didn't we go over this with the iceberg? I want to say we went over this with the iceberg. No, you said that they were trying to shoot it up or whatever and turn it into a big pile of ice cubes. Oh, Okay, so this is a different water crisis. Okay. And the last episode, Diamond Volcano. Harry treats the gang to a trip to Hawaii where they find he has other motives. He has arranged for a mining operation into the side of an extinct volcano to retrieve diamonds formed by extreme geologic forces long ago. At least two big names in this episode, playing Carl Miller, somebody we've talked about a number of times, mostly in tangents on this podcast, William Bogert. Oh yes, the dad from War Games. And Mr. Brindle from Small Wonder, and also the correspondent on that one sketch from Chappelle's show. Yes. And playing a reporter by the name of Mike Flannery... Ron Rifkin, best known for his work, if I'm not mistaken, on the original One Day at a Time. Uh, I would say he's better known for his work on Alias, but yeah, he did uh, 19 episodes of One Day at a Time, so that looks like it was from the 80-81 season. And 
all 110 episodes of Brothers and Sisters. The 2000s Brothers and Sisters. Yeah, the one that actually, you know, lasted. The one with Rob Lowe. All right, so that's the show. And I gotta ask, what happened? It got greenlit. <laughs> That's a valid answer, I think. Again, they're selling you on the concept that they go to the moon and outer space and get junk, and they never did that. At least outside of the pilot episode or the TV movie, they didn't go to space. So I guess it just got greenlit because, again, we said 1978, 1979 was a big time for science fiction shows. And the thing of it is, the original movie that this show is based on didn't do too bad on the ratings, I don't think. Uh, did you see the competition it was up against? The original movie? No. So this originally aired on Saturday, January 20th of 1979. It aired between 9 and 11 p.m. And the CBS competition wasn't too bad. It was going up against a movie. I don't even know what the heck this is. WW and the Dixie Dance Kings. But on NBC, and this is why I sort of question the ratings. This went up against Super Bowl Saturday night. So obviously this was the Saturday before the Super Bowl. So this would be the Pittsburgh-Dallas Super Bowl in 79. I was going to say, how many times did Pittsburgh and Dallas play each other in the Super Bowl? At least Twice. Like, I'd say at least twice. So this would have been Super Bowl... 13. 14? 13. 13. So this, and as we mentioned this in episode 87, the college comedies of 1979, this was the Super Bowl where Jackie Smith dropped that pass. Oh, bless his heart. He's got to be the sickest man in America. So Salvage One only aired as this movie on Saturday nights. Then the following week, nine days later, it moved to Monday nights. On Mondays, and this is from January 29th, on NBC, there was a special, I don't know what this is, books. Stairs at the White House? I think that's what it says. Bookstairs. I can't read the text on my schedule here. doesn't make a difference. It was not a normal show. The normal shows were over at CBS. And uh, sorry, you're not beating like the seventh season of MASH and the second season of WKRP. You know what else was on that time slot later on down the line? Little House on the Prairie. Ooh. Out of 114 shows between 1978 and 1979, it placed 48th, which was enough to be renewed on ABC. It was just south of shows like The White Shadow, Hawaii Five-O, The Incredible Hulk, and How the West Was Won, and it did better than the Jeffersons, Quincy Emmy, Family, and the Wonderful World of Disney. Well, also, we didn't even get to another schedule change. Because later in 1979, in the 78-79 season, 
it moved from Mondays to Sundays. And <laughs> it it's not looking good. Let's say that. On NBC, for the couple of weeks that I'm looking at here, uh, at 8 o'clock on NBC, it tended to go up against a movie. Uh, and actually, looking at August 5th, it went up uh, against Rescue from Gilligan's Island. I don't know what type of ratings that would have garnered. But on CBS, 8 to 9 p.m. on Sundays, the last season of All in the Family, and what would have been the third season? of one day at a time because remember cbs back in the day sunday night was all their big comedies all in the family one day at a time alice the jeffersons for the second season for those two episodes we talked about earlier the hard water part one part two it aired from 7 to 8 p.m on sundays even in 1979 sundays at seven was a death slot i'm sorry because we know what aired on CBS at that point. And you probably could have taken a guess at what aired on NBC at that point. CBS, obviously, 60 Minutes. And NBC was Disney's Wonderful World. Plus also, let's remember, if NFL ran over at any point, the 4 o'clock games, yeah, there goes your viewership on ABC because people are watching the last quarter of the uh, – 4 p.m. Eastern NFL games because this was November. So NFL would have been happening. Yeah. And this was actually a replacement for, if I'm not mistaken, something that was at least one of the, if not the first cancellation of the season. Because I'm looking at the two shows that ABC originally had on Sunday nights at 7. Neither of them lasted to November. Yeah, they did. Oh, I'm taking a look at both of their IMDb pages. One lasted to January of 1980. The other lasted to December of 79. The two shows we're talking about, the one that lasted uh, until uh, December of 79 was Out of the Blue. And the one that lasted until January of 1980 is A New Kind of Family. They just didn't last at 7 p.m. on Sundays because, again... What's happening on Sundays uh, at 7 to 8 o'clock? Especially in early fall of uh, 79. Again, Disney on NBC, 60 Minutes on CBS, and football running over. Savage One was available for a time on the major streamers from Crackle to Apple TV. But per the extent of our research... It's since been taken off said streamers. I'm going to take it a step further, and this is going to be absolutely bizarre. This past Saturday, so six days ago as of the time we're recording, this was on Crackle. That's how I saw the episodes that I saw. So this literally just probably got removed 1st of August. Now, a few episodes were re-edited into movies, notably the two two-parters. They were re-edited into a single movie each and made available on DVD. The rest of the series is available to stream right now on YouTube unofficially. Including some of those unaired episodes. Because remember, for the second season, we only got the first uh, two-parter, so... Uh, taking a look, I do see 
uh, in a quick glance here, looks like the last uh, episode and the third to last episode. So what do you want to say about this show? It was about junk, supposedly, but it was junk. And for that reason, it's a thing on TV. I, I think we can sum it up that way. And, and I think that's a great way to end this episode. Well, remember, if you want more content, you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com. In case you didn't notice, we're one episode away from 400 proper episodes, but we've got live shows and we've got instant reactions and we, we've got all sorts of good stuff up there. And don't forget all the socials. We're at It Was a Thing on TV minus Facebook. It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And I think we've sort of made the transition away from X because I don't think anybody has been touching our X account lately. Nobody's calling it X, Mike. Let's be honest. I'm, Mama I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just keeping it real. So I get that, you know, it's still Twitter, but, you know, Elon Musk, he tried, he failed. But the main point is that I don't think we're even keeping up the Twitter X page, whatever you want to call it this week. But the thing is, we do keep up at Threads, Mastodon, Instagram. We got plenty of stuff there, but I think we sort of abandoned uh, Elon Musk's little plaything. You ruined it. And by the way, in case you ask, we're never signing up for Blue Sky because seriously, Jack Dorsey. So there you go. Next time, because we're back to two episodes a week now, it's episode 400, you guys. What are we going to do here? Well, I mentioned last week, when we do our milestone episodes, 100, 200, 300, 350, we always go pretty big in terms of what we want to cover. This isn't just like some random show where we put in the schedule. 100, we did Match Game Hollywood Squares Revisited. And uh, what else did we do? 350 was the slap. And I know Greg was like dying to do the slap. So 400, it's not going to be some run-of-the-mill show. It's going to be something that one, if not two, if not all three of us said, hey, we need to save this show for this landmark occasion. That's how big it is, at least in one of our opinions. And you'll find out what that landmark series is right here at It Was a Thing on TV this Thursday. Mark your calendars, the 10th of August, episode 400. Thank you very much for listening for the first $3.99. We'll catch you on Thursday for number 400. Wow! <laughs>